My name is Aaron Stern. I'm so glad to be here, and I just want to take a few minutes uh, for this next workshop and talk. Uh, specifically, my title was Killing the Staff-Driven Church, but in some ways, um, I want to talk about doing the right thing with your work. You know, the theme of this conference, of course, is establishing the right rhythm and using your energies, uh, making sure that you're resting so that you're not burning out and honoring the Sabbath and all that kind of thing. I completely agree with that. But I also at the same time think that what we do work on when we work uh, is also really important. And what we spend our energies on as pastors and leaders is so valuable. And oftentimes I meet pastors who are spending their energies in a place that I don't know is necessarily as valuable or um, creates the kind of environment that, that is going to be most helpful. And actually, it's going to make it more difficult for them to take breaks and take rest. And, um, and so, so I want to kind of go in that direction. I talked to a guy recently who talks to about 50 or 60 pastors a week and a theme that he uh, hears on a regular basis, all, churches all sizes, uh, small, large, new, uh, old, um, all different places around the country, kind of those types of things. Theme, one of the themes is how do we get our people to be more engaged? How do we have people, more people serving and participating within the life of the church? It's a common and a natural question, I think, that's, that's out there in lots of many ways. Um, the reason that I think that I, I, one of the reasons I want to share about this uh, is, and I, and I think maybe I have a, a little bit of credibility to share about this, is uh, because of what's happening in our church. Um, my name, I, I, uh, I used to work here at New Life. I was the college pastor here for about 11 years, and honestly thought that I was going to do that for the rest of my life, and uh, uh, was planning on being a college pastor until, until the day I died, and loved it. I loved what I was doing here. Uh, we saw really amazing things happen while we were here, and a few years ago, uh, had, the Lord started to shift some different things in us and, and make a long story short, ended up coming to the place where we knew that we were going to close our chapter here at New Life and ended up planning a church in Fort Collins, Colorado. We're two and a half years old when we first started. Uh, we started in February, our first service was February 26th, 2012, and we had just a little over 400 people at our first service, which is an amazing uh, first service, but we're not that far away from Colorado Springs, about two hours. So uh, my, we had parents and we had friends and we had lots of people that were cheering us on, coming to visit us and you know be there on our first kickoff and all that kind of thing. So I really wasn't too concerned about week one. I was really concerned about week two and three and four and five and so on because I knew that those people weren't going to be driving up every weekend and weren't going to be there on a regular basis. And so over the course of the next three months, our church grew to 150 people uh, on a Sunday morning. And, and then uh, started, that ended up kind of being our bottom and ended up uh, growing from there. We're now two and a half years in. We have three services and about 1,100 people showing up on a Sunday morning. That's really great. Um, it's really fun, and, and Sunday mornings are really wonderful. But one of the things that I think is really amazing about our church um, is that we have uh, about 80 percent, and that's actually even a conservative number, 80 percent of our congregation is involved in small groups, and we have 400 people serving uh, in and around our church, whether on a Sunday morning or throughout the week. And so the percentages are way above normal, um, and we only have out of 1,100 people, for 1,100 people on a Sunday morning, which, you know, of course, if everybody showed up, it wants to be more than that, uh, 
we have six staff members. So, so we don't have very many people that get paid to work within uh, our church congregation. And so, so I, I love it. I love what's happening. I love where we're at. And it's amazing to see people engaged in relationships and people engaged in serving. I want to read a, a, a passage out of Mark. This is Mark chapter 4. This is a, a, a parable or a scripture where Jesus is talking. And, um, and he says here in Mark chapter 4, verse, let's see, 26, he says something. Here it is. <laughs> it says, The kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground night and day while he's, a, while he's asleep or awake. The seeds sprout and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with sickle, for the harvest time has come. What I love about that passage is he says, night and day while he's asleep. In other words, while the farmer isn't working, other things are still happening. And I think one of the ways that we do that and we see that as leaders and pastors and have the ability to rest and not when we rest, everything stops. And all the ministry stops, every, you know. Uh, and, and so as a pastor, I know very few pastors who don't have some form of, of love for people and a, and, a, and a mercy drive that I don't think people don't rest for good reasons. They rest they, they don't rest because there's people to be visited in the hospital and there's people that need to be helped and there's people that need to be counseled and all those types of things. But I think one of the goals is to be able to set up and establish a, an environment where even when we rest, things are happening. And so uh, one of the ways that we've done that, there's a couple of things pretty simple that I want to just throw out to you and then we'll maybe we'll have some time for Q&A at the end if we have some time. But we've done this by communicating or establishing a few things that we really believe in. Number one, we believe that life transformation happens in the context of relationships. Life transformation happens in the context of relationships, which means that people need to be connected to other people. And if we think that life transformation only happens on a Sunday morning when they're hearing my sermon, then, then that ultimately says they have to be connected to me as the pastor or the person that's preaching. So life transformation happens in the context of relationships. If we were to go around in this room and go through each person and ask, tell me about what has helped you, and what kind of thing, or what, what, what in particular, give me a description, describe some different things in your life that have helped you to grow. I bet if we were to go around this, this room, 99% of us would probably identify that situation or that circumstance or that history with a person we'd probably be able to name a person that was specifically and significantly involved in that. Now, I'm not saying that people don't grow from hearing sermons, thank God. <laughs> I'm not saying that people don't grow because they read a book. I'm not saying that there's not a value in things outside of that, but within the context of relationship is where we see those things pushed and growing and encouraged in that way. And so, so we've got to believe that life change happens in the, in the, in the context of relationship. And, and and this is in peop, authentic relationship, people knowing one another, people encouraged by one another, people praying for one another, people doing life together. And so uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple. They gathered together 
They were in a larger context, followed by meals at home. Every meal a celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. People in general liked what they saw. Every day their number grew as God added to those who were saved. Talks about there is the larger gathering, but they had people in homes. They were meeting with one another. They were spending time with one another. And I'm convinced that within, I know that I can only take care of so many people. I know that my staff can only hire, excuse me, take care of so many people. And I also know that my resources are limited, and I'm not going to be able to probably keep up specifically with, okay, if I need to make sure that I have pastors that can do all the pastoring for everybody. And so the other day, I, was, I went into this restaurant in Fort Collins, and there's a guy who owns this restaurant, and he was, he, so the owner came down, sat down next to me, and he says, oh, Aaron, how's it going? Good to see you. Now, this guy, two years ago, uh, came to our church, and he gave his life to Jesus. Grew up totally unchurched, didn't know, he wasn't familiar with church culture, didn't, none of that stuff. Totally brand new believer is amazing. So he's coming to church with his wife, and, and only in the last semester had he jumped into and joined a small group. Prior to this, I would meet with him or I'd see him every now and then. Hey, John, how's it going? Yeah, good, good. You know, like, how's your, how, you know, he's reading through the Bible and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of stuck in Deuteronomy right now. I don't really know what's happening. I'm like, well, just keep plowing through, you know, keep going. And if you got any questions, let me know. And, you know, just encouraging and he's consistent. And then I, and, but, but kind of quiet, kind of like, I don't know, you know, I'm just trying to figure this out a little bit and got some different people in his life. And he joins a small group. And he sits down next to me at the restaurant and he says, oh man, I just love my small group. And he just, I mean, chatty Kathy breaks out and he could not say enough about the people that he, the guys that he was meeting with and specifically the small group leader who had kind of in some ways taken him under his wing and was meeting with him on a regular basis, helping him with his life, his marriage, his business. I mean, digging into his life. It was, it was incredible. I know that I care for this guy, and we've spent a little bit of time together. But I know that I can't do what he is getting from the group that he's surrounded with. I can't do, do that with him, or if I do it with him, I can't do it with very many others. I, I love the fact that every now and then I'll hear about somebody that's gone to the hospital in our church, and so I'll well, I call him up or call somebody, hey, do I need to go to the hospital? Like, oh, no, there's already 10 people at the hospital. What about meals? Do we need to do anything like that? Oh, no, they've already got meals set up for the next two months. You know, they, their community of people has already jumped in. They're already supporting them, pastoring them, caring for them. I'm like, well, okay, well, um, if you need anything, like, let me know. I'm, I'm over here. <laughs> but there's something beautiful about recognizing that the community of people that surrounds and comes around people without me even there. And, and I, I think that there's something important about us recognizing that we, one of, I, the, I recognize one of my jobs is to connect people to others, not just specifically to me. That, that, that we, I, I love in Acts chapter 2, where it says that they were committed to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of, and, and to fellowship with the other believers. They were committed to the teaching of the apostles, but they were connected to those who were all around them. And so here's, so, so one of the things that we like to say is that we're not a church with groups, we're a church of groups. And so, so, so one of the ways in which ministry and 
and connection and growth is happening is cultivating an environment where people recognize that life transformation happens in the context of relationships, and so people have got to be in groups. And so, so there's groups, new groups forming and all that kind of stuff, and I can talk uh, a little more specifically about uh, some of the specifics of how those break down and how we set those up and how we train leaders and all of that kind of thing. But, but the big idea there is that we believe that life transformation happens in the context of relationship. The second thing is that we believe that our job, now that's talking about specifically as a pastoral team, our job is to equip believers for ministry. Ephesians chapter 4 says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. So if we can equip believers for works of service, part of that is about their growth and maturity, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So... One of the things that I think is necessary, I like to, I want to make sure that when I hire staff, I'm hiring beekeepers, not watchmakers. A beekeeper gets a bunch of bees together and they build a honeycomb. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not much of a bee ma my, man myself, but, so, but, but think about it. When the beekeeper sleeps, the bees are still making honey. When a watchmaker sleeps, the watch doesn't make itself. And so, my desire and goal for the people that are going to work and, and be in leadership within our church are going to be people who are going to be beekeepers, not watchmakers. They're going to be team builders, not specifically, I'm going to do the ministry and you can just kind of watch or be recipients of ministry. Now, that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that our pastors don't do ministry. They do. We do. I do meet with people. I do a wedding I do a funeral. I do counseling. I do those things. But the vast majority of our time is spent on building teams of people to do that type of thing. And, and so oftentimes when somebody's doing something, I'll say like, well, have you built a team for that? Have you built a team for that? In other words, are you pulling other people in to do that with you? so that when you can't do it, for some reason, maybe you're going to be out of town, maybe an emergency has come up in your own life, that nothing happens because everything is shut down because you're not available. But do you have somebody else you can call when that happens? Do you have somebody else that you can call when maybe, for instance, our church, we have a lot of young people and a lot of college students, so we have a lot of people that are interested in getting married, and they, when they get engaged, they call us and say, hey, uh, can you do our wedding and can you do premarital counseling? So it was not very, did not take very long for that to fill up past one person, ability to carry that amount, that amount of premarital counseling. So so we're building teams to help carry some of the premarital counseling weight. And some of those people are pastoral staff, and some of those people are not. And, and, so, and so that way it's not dependent upon one person and their schedule and their capacity, but the capacity can grow based beyond that one particular person. So, um, so if somebody on my team can't build a team, then chances are they're not going to stay on the team very long. Oftentimes when something's going on in the church and, you know, maybe they're getting ready to do something or they want to help with something or you're kicking something off or whatever, the, you know, we'll talk about it at a staff meeting. 
but I don't let my staff ask the other staff to be a part of their making something happen. Now, if it's necessary that they're a part because that overlaps into something that they're overseeing, then great. But I don't let them just pull on the staff to the other staff members. Otherwise, what happens is every time something comes up, we go to the staff table and we eventually say, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? Who's going to help me with this? And eventually that staff table, the capacity at that table is maxed out. And then it's just going to be a no to that based on capacity, not based on what's going to be best. And so, so oftentimes when we come to the table now, there's a bunch of people that come and they've got these other groups of people and teams that essentially it's like, hey, I just want to let you guys know what's going on over here in this particular ministry. And somebody oftentimes will be like, well, you need any help with that? No, I've got it all taken care of. I've got this team and I've got this leadership team and I've got this team that's going to set up this and I've got this team that's making sure that this is happening. And they've got this, this team of people that's already involved and already making something happen. And, and, and it's really, really fun to watch because, because what, I, what I find is, is when people are involved in that particular way, they love it. There's, there's one particular team in our church. I was talking to a guy recently, and he says, so, and he, the worship pastor, and he says that, he said, I had some of my volunteers come to me recently and say, can we meet more often? <laughs> Can we have more meetings? We want to talk more. We want to work more. We want more to do. And I thought, <laughs> he, he, so, so they're trying to push him to give them more and do more already within the context of the church. And, and, and one of the reasons, I'm going to get to this in a little bit, one of the reasons is, is because the goal is not specifically to just try to get people to fill slots. The goal is actually to help people serve within their giftings. And when you serve within your giftings, there's something that it's life-giving to them. It's not life-draining. So one, I know that one of my giftings is communication and speaking. I know that one of my giftings is leadership. So we just went to three services on Sunday morning. Some people are like, are you okay? Are you going to be all right with three services? I mean, and certainly, I, it, it's an energy. It takes energy. But honestly, I'm, I'm ready for four. Like, let's, I just love it. When I'm done with three, I'm so excited and I'm so fired up. I could do, I'm ready to do it again. I look forward to the next week. I'm ready for the next opportunity. And so, and the reason for that is because it, there's a, it, it's a gift. It's part of what the, the way that the Lord has made me. And so I met a girl the other day that works in our twos and threes classroom. <laughs> and if you have twos and threes, or if you've ever worked in a twos and threes classroom, it's the most chaotic because <laughs> they're very agile and mobile, but they don't really have, they have, a, they have no attention span, not even a short one. And, and she was just like, I was like, hey, how's it going? And she's like, oh, it's so great. I got to work in twos and threes today. It was amazing. I mean, she sounded like me after I speak. But, and I'm thinking, oh, if you ever put me in there. I think I might, like, scrape my fingernails out. You know, I mean, it just would have been not an enjoyable experience. But I love that she loves it so much. And so the goal is not, okay, hey, everybody, I need you to do this so that I can do this so that we can make sure that this happens. And so who's going to sign up? Not how we work it. And so, um, so we've got to believe that our job is to equip believers for ministry. So I want to com kind of combine those two things. The, the reality that life transformation happens in the context of a relationship and as leaders within the church, our goal and our, our job 
is to equip believers for ministry. We do that by doing, saying two things. First of all, we do that by saying yes. We say that, we, we do that by saying yes to people. So when somebody comes to me or somebody else on our team and says, hey, um, do you have a homeless ministry? And sometimes we might actually say, you know, no, we don't. If we don't, which we don't. But if someone were to come to me and say, hey, do you have a homeless ministry? I would say, no, we don't, but I have a feeling we're about to. And they're like, really? Is somebody else thinking about, uh, is somebody, somebody on your staff going to develop a homeless ministry? No, you are, <laughs> because it's a passion in your heart. And so what we would then encourage her to do is to establish a small group of other people that might be interested in serving the homeless. And so here now we have somebody who's driven by their passion and maybe gifting in terms of reaching out to the homeless. And she then has a group of people that they're going to do it with. And so now here's the relational comp context. And she's like, uh, and, and, and oftentimes what happens when, whether it's that or it's teaching the book of Romans or whatever it might be, oftentimes those are the people that are calling you, hey, can I do this? And how about this? What do I, what do, I do about this? And how do I make sure that this happens? And, and they're, they're almost like pushing on you to, to, to let them, like give them room. And you're like, yes, go, go. And... And so, so it, it puts us in a place where we don't just say, okay, my job is to equip believers for ministry, my ministry. No, my job is to equip believers for their ministry. And so one of the things that I like to do a lot is listen and just say, what is it that God has placed in your heart or what gifts has God given to you? And as I start to hear that, oftentimes I'll be like, you know what? I know, I, I think there's, there's, a, there's a spot for you on such and such a team, or you should connect with so-and-so because they have a very similar gifting or they have a very similar passion. And, and all of a sudden, you start seeing these kind of sparks fly and you start seeing ways in which people start engaging and you start like, their mind starts turning, the wheels start turning, and some things start to start going forward. And if First Peter chapter 4, this is, of course, throughout the New Testament, Paul writes about this all the time when he talks about the body and the ear not being like the tongue and the tongue not being like the eye and not being like the knee. We all need these different parts and these different parts work together. And, and we then, of course, have Paul listing out these different giftings and the different ways in which the Holy Spirit has given different gifts to different people. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, it says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering, administrating God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. The goal is not to equip people to do my ministry. The goal is to equip people to do their ministry. And so, what I love, what I'm really saying is we need to say yes to people and what God has placed inside of them. And so we can't be afraid of empowering people and empowering leaders. I don't know if you've ever been placed in that position where you've been given an opportunity and, and, and whether you knew you were leading or not, but you just had to take on something and maybe you were kind of scared of it, but that particular experience, even if it was brand new and maybe totally like, I don't know what to do, 
caused you to grow in greater ways than if you had just heard a lecture on how to do it. And there's something actually really valuable about us empowering a leader and, or empowering a person. And if they're unsure and, and, and there's maybe lots of ways to do it, is to even actually say, I'm not sure, figure it out. I'll be here if you need something. You know, if you want to dialogue about that, we'd be happy to help you. But giving people the room to go and room to go somewhere. You know, one of the people that I think was, and, and we might think, well, okay, all right, I'm looking out for that perfect, that perfect leader. I'm looking out for that great person who's going to be the, the, the right perfect leader. Every now and then you find him. But when I look at the life of Jesus, you realize like kind of where his disciples were when he first picked them. I mean, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being like level 10 John Maxwell leader, you know, they were probably like, I don't know, four, fives, and sixes, right? I mean, they were rough around the edges. They, they, didn't, they, were, they were all over the place. They're fighting with each other. They're, 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 I mean, they're saying, Jesus, what are you doing? I mean, they're totally all over the map. And yet he continues to work with them and he gives them. And, and, and even when he leaves, if we look back at the ways in which the, the, the questions they were asking and all the different things, I mean, Peter obviously just denied Jesus not that long before, and what is he doing? Oh, by the way, I'm going to leave you, and I'll leave you with the Holy Spirit, and, and you're going to take the message around the world. Man, those guys were kind of a mess. And, and so there's something important for us, I think, as leaders and as pastors to recognize it's okay to send people out that might have some mess. I promise you, actually, that this philosophy of ministry is going to be messy. But I think that that's good. I think we need to empower people and then come alongside them and give them some rails to run along or maybe boundaries to stay within uh, in such a way that actually causes them to be like, well, I'm driving like this. And, I'm like, ah! and eventually they kind of get it going and, and then they end up going down. But sometimes we're like, well, if they're ever going to do this, I, I don't think they're, I, don't th I can't handle that. We want them to drive straight from the very beginning. And so, so, we need to make sure that we're not that we're listening, hearing, and then giving room for and and breathing on and pushing people towards what God has called them to do. And so, one of the, a few of the things that we're looking for, and we have a little bit of a system. I'll talk about that here in just a second. But I we're definitely looking for people who are servants. The doorway into leadership in the kingdom of God is servanthood. It is servanthood. If somebody has the heart of a servant, who knows what God can do with them? The doorway into leadership in the kingdom of God is servanthood. And the other way that they find their place within the kingdom of God specifically has to do with gifting. So we've got to believe in people's personal passions. There's a, there's a, a lady in our church, uh, and she is, uh, they've probably, probably been in our church for a year and a half maybe, and she, um, out of two and a half years, so they're like, you know, old timers. And, and she has a passion for young and new moms. And so after hearing about that, we're like, you should start a small group, a city group for her, for young moms. And she's like, well, I don't know about that. And, and actually she gets so nervous before her group. But she has like 20 moms that show up to her group on a regular basis. And she says, as nervous as I am, because I'm like, I don't know if I should do, I don't know if I can do this. 
The moms love her. And afterwards, she's so energized and just is amazed at what God does in and through her. And I think the same thing is true of her and so many others, just like Jesus. I don't know if we can do this. I don't know if we can do this. That's okay, because I wait here because I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to be the one that ultimately is going to work and act through you and his, your giftings that he gave to you. So I kind of like scared leaders. <laughs> I kind of like servants who are a little nervous because saying, I'm just here to serve. The Holy, God's given this gift to me, and the Holy Spirit's got to kind of like, he's got to do something here because I'm a little freaked out. If I, this is all up to me, I'm pretty sure I'm going to fall flat on my face. And I think that posture, a servanthood, a, a uh, I'm a little nervous. I don't know if I can do this posture. Is like the perfect posture that God says, oh, okay, now here we go. And so, so, um, so we got this young mom who's, or this mom, who's, she's got three kids now, and, but she just has a passion for new moms. There's another guy, part of our church, and they had been looking for a church for about a year before our church started, and, and, uh, and they came to our church pretty early on, and and I found out he's a leadership consultant, and he does like um, goes into businesses, and he helps different individuals within the business, and then teams understand like personality mixes, and he underst- understands different kind of things, you know, whether it be Myers Briggs or you know that type of thing. Um, and so, so he'll go in and do all that kind of stuff. And I, I one time sat in on a session of him doing it. It was amazing. And I went up to him afterwards, and I said, hey, uh, and we have this little system where people, there's a, a class where people can go to where they can find out what their giftings are because it's helpful for them to know what their giftings are if they're going to serve in a place of their gifting, which, by the way, 85% of, the, uh, of, the, of believers don't know what their giftings are. Can you imagine if 85% of your body didn't know what it was, supposed to, what it was for? <laughs> None of us would be here. <laughs> 85% of the body doesn't know what its place is. So we want to make sure that we at least have a starting point for people to understand that, and then try and figure it out. So, so we had this class going. I was teaching this class, and I went to him, and I said, hey, um, would you be interested in teaching this class? It's a class where you find out what your spiritual gift is, and he had never taught that class. He teaches in secular companies, and, and he, but I just knew, like, man, this guy is good. He just, but, but he just doesn't do it in the church context. And, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to. Let me see the material and all that kind of thing. His wife, a couple days later, calls my wife, and she says, they somehow they got to talking about what I had asked him to think about. And she said, he came home from his meeting with Aaron with tears in his eyes. She said, the church that we were part of before, the only thing that they ever asked him to do was to serve in children's ministry. And every time he served in children's ministry, he wanted to pull his hair out. <laughs> and he was willing because he's a good man. And he's still willing because he's a good man. But I think what, what he told his wife, he said, I feel like for the first time I'm not treated like a mule just to carry somebody else's things. I'm treated like a stallion and given the opportunity to run. And I'll never forget that statement. I'll never forget that experience because I think that's exactly what I want every person to think and I want every person to experience. And I think as a pastor, that's my goal. That's my job. What has God placed inside of you 
There's lots and lots of things that we can talk about, ways in which people are held back, and ways in which people need to let go of things, ways in which people need to be healed before they can go and lead, and all those types of things. And that's part of the process. But at the end of the day, God's given each one of us unique giftings. God's given to us individual unique passions. God's made us in unique ways. And those are not just for us to kind of not even, one, know about, and two, just to keep to ourselves, just to serve others specifically, and first, first to serve the body of Christ. And then secondly, that expands into serving our culture and serving our cities. And so we have city groups that are basketball city groups. We have, and one of our leaders went to the basketball city group because they wanted to play basketball. And so he went to the basketball city group and he found out that over half of the group didn't go to our church. They don't go to any church. But one of the things that we believe is that it's necessary for a non-believer to trust a Christian, and it'll be, if they trust a Christian, they're going to have an easier time trusting Jesus. One of the greatest ways for somebody to trust a Christian is within a context of playing basketball or within the context of coming over to somebody's house for a meal or coming over to, and playing volleyball with somebody. And a lot of times that's what's happening, not just the that's what's happening within the groups. Maybe the group isn't a volleyball group, but that group is playing volleyball one other night of the week, and they're saying, hey, invite some friends. And so, um, so there's, there are basketball groups, and there's new believer groups, like groups for people that are, don't know anything about Jesus, and they're kind of exploring a bunch of, they're exploring faith. And that group has probably half people that go to our church, and half of the other, the other people in the group uh, don't go to any church at all, and they're just curious about faith. And now there's three of those groups because those groups have continued to go well and there's this way in which they're like, oh, I got some friends. Can I bring some friends? And well, we're kind of, can't add them to this group, but maybe if you can just hang on to them and they'll start another group. Or maybe we have this other person, he's going to start a group in a couple of weeks. Can you move over and jump, have, invite your friends into that group? And, and, and so, so it's, it's in some ways groups and passions based on free markets. Because one of the questions that I'll oftentimes get is like, well, what if somebody goes crazy? <laughs> what if somebody like goes haywire and they're teaching bad doctrine and all that kind of stuff? I am convinced that bad groups will fail and good groups will, will work. It's just like two pizza joints that you put down on the corner. They will both thrive if they're both good. But if one is not good, the other one will put the other one out of business. And just natural on how things will work. And I think if we can trust that, and this is the thing, oftentimes we say no at the very beginning. We say no to people and their passions. I said this in the breakout that I did yesterday, and so if you're in that, sorry for me to repeat that, but there was a guy, this was when I was college pastor here, there was a guy who came to me, and it was one of those things where, like, just my five minutes of interaction with him, I just knew the answer to this, but he said, hey, uh, I have an idea for a a small group, can I be a small group leader? Of course, he had to go through the training and all that kind of stuff, but my answer to him was yes. Now, I knew, I, I kind of knew that the group wasn't going to succeed. Now, I have been plenty surprised oftentimes, actually, that people who I thought their group wasn't going to succeed actually did. And so, for one, we need to make sure that we don't stereotype people or somehow assume that because you wouldn't connect with them and go to their group, that somebody else won't. But this particular guy, um, I said, sure. And he wanted to start a group based on like, it was like, like electronic music and, and rave type stuff. And I was like, okay, cool, fine. So he did it, and the first week they had seven people. 
The second week, he had two people. And every week after that, he had zero. And he came to me, and he said, and I was like, hey, how's your group going? He's like, mm, I don't have a group anymore. Well, why not? And so he told me the little story. And he said, do you think, that you, can, can we go sit down for coffee sometime and, and talk about why that might be, didn't work or if any way that I should, can grow as a leader? Because it obviously didn't work, so I, there's something I need to work on. I am fairly convinced that if I had said, no, I don't think you should, you know, you can't lead a group. I don't know that he would have said, hey, can we go sit down and maybe you can tell me about the different things that you think that I should grow, as, grow in as a leader if I'd have just said, oh, I'm sorry, and just pushed him off to the side. But I think we have to be willing to, be, to, to have a little bit of mess, to not have everything be perfect, but to have everything and know that people are in process. And so um, one of the things that that does as well when we give people uh, charge of and give people freedom to run with their passions is it makes them owners and not just hirelings. You know the difference between owning your own business and somebody working for somebody's business? When you own your own business, you will work night and day. You will do anything and everything to try and get it to succeed. You, will, you, you feel like you are a part of something rather than just kind of fulfilling a little task. And what I have found is that we now have hundreds of owners participating in our church, not just somebody doing a, filling a slot, doing a job. And so, so we always try to say yes. Now, sometimes we say yes, but we're going to have to do that. that you can, let's, let's wait a little bit or let's wait and let's put it in. Let's try it. If you're going to do that, you need to do it within the context of a small group, something like that, which leads me to my next statement, and that is that we say no, specifically and mostly to events. But I would actually maybe even just say we say no to other things that are not small groups. And the reason is, is, we believe that life transformation happens in the context of community. Now, I know that relationships can start. I know that people can meet one another at an event. I know that those types of things can happen. But I am also convinced, and I, part of this is just because I've been involved in church for long enough now, that you can justify just about anything in a church unless it's a satanic Bible study. <laughs> I mean, right? There is, there is nothing that you can't justify to be good. We're going to go play kickball. Great. Why are you going to do that? Well, it's, we want to connect with some different people, and I think it'll be fun. Great. That's, that's worth it. Well, we want to do this book, study on this book. Okay. Why, why do you want to do that? Well, it's going to be helpful, and it's, just, and it's an important topic. You know, da, da, da. Great. Okay. I mean, you can go, you can make up anything. We're going to do pumpkin carving. We're going to, you know, I mean, anything can be justified. And so what I think is necessary is that something has to be justified within alignment to what you're trying to do. And so I can say no to something because of what we're trying to do. And what we're trying to do is make sure that people get into relationship as much as possible. Now, temptation as a pastor is to do a lot of events because sometimes events are a little easier than groups because you, you just have this one big punch. You only have to do it once, and you get it off the ground, and it's a lot of fun, and then you're done, and you clean up, and then everybody goes away. And so... But I have found that if you do enough events on a regular basis, people will go to the events and not go to the groups. And so I find that I say no to a lot of like miscellaneous events. Now we do some events, but the only events that we do have to connect into a small group. So in the middle of October, we're about to do a little marriage event and it's a Friday night, Saturday morning. But that Friday night, Saturday morning, 
all of that is built into and is actually kind of the kickoff event, really, for a bunch of groups that are going to start from that event and go on for the rest of the semester. So we're creating a new entry point in the middle of our semester for people into small groups, and, it's, and, the, and the reason has everything to do with getting people into a group and the motivation they're going to find at, because they're going to get a little piece of the marriage group, and it's like, oh, I want more of this. Can, I can do this for six more weeks. And they say sign up with their spouse, and they join a group right in the middle of the semester, as opposed to, oh, let's just do this fall festival. It's almost fall, so maybe you guys are going to do some fall festivals. I don't know. We can justify fall festivals. We can invite our friends. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll make it, give a Halloween alternative. Great. If it doesn't push people into small groups, if there's not an obvious either pulling in and, and grabbing new small group leaders or helping people connect into small groups, in my book, it's going to be a no. And so that's one of the filters through which we determine if th something is, is something we're going to do or not. So we say yes to people and their passions in the context of small groups, and we say no to events unless it points people into small groups. And so, um, and so because of that, I lead a city group. Every person on my staff leads a city group. Every, all of our staff people have to lead groups if, because it's just what we do. We're in groups. And I don't believe that just because, see, this is the thing about, about relationships and small groups. I actually really don't care if somebody's in a small group, but they've got to be in some sort of community. There's a, we have what we call black market small groups, like they're not on the list. And that's okay. I'm totally fine with that. I want our church in community. Because, and the reason I don't care if it's like a listed group or, or a group that we even know about is because, it, it, well, it's not because, oh, I just want everybody to do our thing, and I want everybody in our program, and I want everybody in our small groups, and I want to be able to, I want to go speak at a conference and be able to say how great our small groups are and how many people we have in small groups it has nothing to do with my motivation for why I think people should be in small groups. It has everything to do with the fact that we need each other and if we don't have people around us, we will be defined by our weaknesses rather than benefiting from the strength of others. And so if we don't have people around us, our bad, dark days are going to be really, really bad and really, really dark. And so it's not all about building the Mill City Church small group department. It's all about helping people to have what they need for their toughest days, which are ahead. And that's really, really important. And when I think of it, and I'm motivated by that, and I recognize that discipleship and growth comes out of that, it's not hard for me to say no to the fall festival. <laughs> not because I wouldn't have fun. I could have so much fun at a fall festival. I can jump up and down. Let's, let's rent some bouncy castles and get some petting zoos. And let's, I mean, let's buy thousands of dollars of candy. I mean, let's do it. Let's, let's have fun. No doubt we could have lots of fun. But you know what? how I really would want that to go? If that's somebody's idea, great. If you want to do that, develop a small group that's going to do that in your neighborhood. And so all of our outreach actually goes through our small groups. So we encourage our small groups to find different things, whether it's in their neighborhood or connect to some other sort of ministry in the city or some sort of organization that's in need. And, and, and so there's people that are... I think there's more outreach happening in our city in a year through small groups in little ways that we never hear about than if we did kind of a big outreach thing every month. And so 
um, everything is run through, and everything happens within the context of community and happens through city groups and small groups. So, so that's, those are some main big ideas that drive what we do and how we do it. Um, so I want to take just a few minutes uh, to talk about some of, the, some of the logistics of this, and then we can open up for questions and any discussion that we have. And if there isn't any, we can get out a little early. All right? So um, one of the things that we do, like I said, we have about 400 people serving at Mill City Church, and that's in kids, and that's ushers, and that's welcome people, and that's city group leaders. And uh, I mean, it's, it's Sunday morning, and it's every, every other thing that's going on in the church. And, and so we have a system for how those people end up in that team. So it's not a big push every week or every month or whatever from the platform saying, hey, anybody, we need you to join what we call the lift team. Hey, we need you to join the lift team. Hey, we need you to join the lift team. This big, and it's all dependent upon a platform announcement. Instead, we have what we call Mill City Connect. And the third part of that is the class that I mentioned where the people discover their giftings. The first part of that class, I, the first, and it happens every month. So first Sunday of the month, uh, I teach it. It's called Vision 101. I teach about what, what are the values and vision of our church. Who are we and where are we going? Uh, second one is Belong 201. We believe that we belong to Jesus, and as a result, we belong to each other. And so how do we grow in both of those relationships? Our relationship with Jesus and our relationship with each other. We tell people about city groups. We talk about life transformation happening in the context of relationship, and we help people know what it means not only to pray, but to pray with others. And then three is Discover 301. That's where they uh, take a little gift, spiritual gift uh, inventory test, and they, they're in the process of figuring out, oh, some people know it, some people don't. Some people have taken that before, some, a lot of people haven't, and at least it's a starting point. I don't think that you walk out of there and you know exactly how your gifts operate and what that looks like, but it's a starting point. And we give people ideas on how, how, what it looks like to express those and develop those and find out more about those. And then the fourth one is called Lift Team 401. And at Lift Team 401, we tell them about the our service team, our volunteer team, we actually never use that word, volunteer is a bad word in our world. And so, um, but we tell people how they can join, what it looks like, what our philosophy of serving is. Uh, we call it the lift team because we believe that Jesus used all of his authority and all of his power and all of his resources not to dominate and to push people around, but instead he used all of his power to lift up humanity, to lift up people. And in the same way, as servants of Christ Jesus, we are to be and imitate Jesus. Therefore, we use all of our energy, all of our resources, all of our power to lift up others. And so we join, so you join the lift team with that type of attitude. And so, so every month, we got people going through that class. They don't have to go through it in order. They don't have to go through it all in one month. They can, some people start it in January and they finish it in August because of their schedule or because of whatever. But if they go through all four of them, they are, re they are ready to serve. They might have to go through an interview process and some additional training and background checks, all that kind of thing. But we have anywhere from 10 to 25 people joining the lift team every month. And so you start adding those numbers up. And, you know, one time when we first started the church, we did this, and I had one person at 401. So I sat down with him. We had coffee together. I told him all about it, and he joined the tech team, and he's still a part of the tech team. I love that guy, and I'm actually convinced that he probably, I, you know, sometimes as a pastor, like, oh, I don't know if that's worth it. Are you kidding me? That was the, I loved it, and I'm, I'm actually fairly convinced if I were to put myself in, in, in his shoes, not to toot my own horn, but man, he just got a coffee with the pastor. I think it was awesome, and so, and so people, there's a system for 
helping people find their giftings and jump into a place of service. And we help them not just say, okay, hey, uh, let's see, uh, you seem like you love kids. You want to serve in kids? I mean, we try to connect their gifting with a place of service. And, and we give lots and lots of freedom. If this isn't right, if this just doesn't work, if it doesn't really fit, then talk to it. Let's, we'll help you find another spot. We'll help you find a place that, where you're energized when you do this. And, and, and sometimes it's like, well, maybe there isn't a fit for you, but let's work on what that might be, and maybe we need to create something else. And so, um, so we have a system for people serving, and, and then the other thing is we have a, a system for people jumping into city groups. And so we, we do our, our, syst- our city groups on a semester-based system. So we have fall, some fall groups, spring groups, and summer groups. Um, we actually encourage a lot of our group leaders to take the summer off. So we have a, a, a much smaller uh, number of groups that happen in the summertime, um, but it really is great and important for them to have a break and to have um, some time to rest. And, and so that, and really what happens is we find that they are charged up and fired up and ready to go for the fall semester and really just ready to jump in and can't wait to get their group back off the ground and, and, and rip-roaring and ready to go. So, so we do that, and so we have an entry point. So we have um, the way that we do it is, uh, you know, you kind of have to figure out when your semester start and all that kind of stuff. But when our semester starts, we, the week before, on a Sunday, we put it all up online and we have a printed booklet. So people can pick it up, call the leader, find out what works, find out what day works, call the leader, find out where it's at, ask more questions, you know, whatever it might be. And then the next Sunday, the semester actually starts. So all the groups then start that particular week. And we have kind of a rally Sunday. We call it City Group Sunday. And and we have lots of information, places for people to sign up. People, they don't have to sign up for a group, but they might say, hey, I'm interested in this group and this group. And then we give those to the leaders. The leaders call them, um, though people can call through the website or whatever they want. And, and last semester, so this was in the spring, there were about 900 people coming to Mill City Church. And we had over 700 people in small groups. And that, we count that about halfway through the semester and get an overall count of what's going on. When I told that to somebody else, they're like, no, like that can't be true. Like you must be, and I legitimately, and we're not counting kids' classrooms on Sunday mornings, just so you know. Like these are legitimate meeting in people's houses, meeting throughout the week groups. Over 80% of the people in our church are in groups. Now we haven't done the count yet for this semester because we're not far, far enough into the semester, but, um, but we have great leaders, we have great groups. I'm convinced that the percentages are gonna stay high and similar, and the goal is people involved in relationship. And as a result, when I come down here for a couple of days to teach, actually one of my favorite days is the day after city group launch. Because <laughs> it's a lot of work. You know, our team works hard, our city group director works hard to get everything kind of off the ground and get all the leaders trained and get everything in the booklet. I mean, that's a busy time for a couple of weeks right here at the beginning. Our, our launch was September 7th. It's a lot of work. And then about September 8th, I just, it's not just, oh, we're done with all the work. You know what I feel? Is I feel this. All the, all the people that are now being carried by all these other group leaders and the groups that form around them. It's like, I just feel everybody kind of, all the burden and the weight of ministry goes, and goes out throughout the church. Are there going to be people that don't connect in groups? Absolutely. Are, do some people need some more specific and individualized maybe experienced pastoral care? Absolutely. Do we do that? Absolutely. Do we t- teach our, and train our leaders how to deal with something that maybe they don't know what to deal with? Absolutely. Do they, To call somebody and bring in help? Absolutely. 
But I would suggest that the vast majority of what people need is found within the context of community with a leader who's passionate, not just about material. We really actually teach all of our, our leaders. Groups are an excuse, actually, for relationships. And so as a result, um, there's the relationship, the relational fabric. Actually, the other reason I think I feel the, 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 um, the weight lift is because it takes pressures off a of Sunday. <laughs> because because it's, Sunday's not the only thing that is like, I'm deciding whether or not I'm even part of this church based on how awesome Sunday is. Now, I think Sundays are awesome. But people will go where they have relationships. You can have the most amazing preacher and the most amazing worship leader in the world, and people will go where their friends are. They'll go to see a movie they've seen before to hang out with their friends rather than just go to something that's really excellent. So my, my desire is that people would be connected in relationship because, because it might be the, a great service that brings them in the door. It might be a, a, a good sermon that, that people stay for a little bit, but ultimately it's relationships that keeps them connected into the body of Christ. And so, um, so we try to create entry points. Uh, and so we have three main entry points. This particular semester this is actually a test for us. We're trying a mid-semester entry point with the marriage event that I mentioned. Um, so we'll see if it works. But we do have city group leaders kind of prepped, ready to go. Um, kind of everything's, in, we're trying to tee it up so that, so that it's another entry point for people um, midway through the semester. So, and then we do take a break. We take a break for about a few weeks between semesters, you know, for... Christmas and all that kind of thing. It gives leaders a little bit of a breather as well as um, another opportunity then for people to jump in. People are not uh, obligated to their city group forever. Um, and so it, sometimes, sometimes people need different groups at different times. And so we want to give freedom for people to be moving in and out of different groups depending on what's going on in their lives. All right. So I think that's one of the things that's been really helpful for us. It's been really exciting. Um, we have time for a few questions. So, any questions or comments um, before we before we finish? Yeah. 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 The question, if you didn't hear it, was how much? Uh, how many of the like knitting groups or bicycling groups or volleyball groups or flag football groups do you have? Really, the percentage is fairly small uh, in context of and in, in comparison to the total number of groups. So it's not like 50% of our groups are activity-based and the rest are, you know, book of the Bible or study group or whatever. I would say that it's probably 10% and the highest percentage is in the summer when people are outside and, you know, it's a little easier to do all that kind of thing. So, um, so, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, so outside of that, if they're not activity-based like that, then they would be something like, um, may, might be studying through a book of the Bible. Some of them, my favorite city groups, are the ones that study my sermon, obviously. <laughs> um, the best ones. No, the, um, I mean, there's some sermon study groups. There's the, and then there's some that break up into, you know, some of them are just open to anybody. Some of them are college groups. Some of them are moms groups. Some of them are men's groups. And so they really have a lot of freedom, but there usually is some sort of, um, I don't know if curriculum is the right word, but something that they're going through that's giving them a little bit of some shape for the semester. So, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, for what's happening within their group. Um, we do want to, I mean, we encourage now within, like for instance, the, the basketball group is probably the best example for us of a activity-based, um, non-Christians participating type group. So what does that group do? The vast majority of the non-activity groups, I mean, they're going to pray together, they're going to read scripture, they're going to do something like that. We want them to have their relationships and what's happening within that group be intentional. So prayer, uh, scripture reading, and ultimately, honestly, in some ways, sharing a meal um, are, are some of the like, one of these, these three things would really make this a, kind of take this group to the next level. We're not like saying you, if you, if one of these three things aren't happening, we're not counting you as a group uh, or something like that. But, and part of the reason is we believe that, that if the group lead, everything rises and falls on leadership. So the life of the group leader is going to exude and tell people, I'm a believer, I follow Jesus, and that's going to come up. And maybe it's, maybe it's going to be like, oh, what's, is there anybody here that has anything that's going on in your life that we'd like, that we can pray for, I could pray for you about? You know, I mean, even something as simple as that certainly communicates that this is a, a Christian group or that th there's something about this that's more than just a social club, you know, so, Yeah. 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 For the sake of the recording, and if anybody didn't, didn't hear this, the question had to do with what do you do with somebody maybe that was, um, hasn't, you, you mentioned people coming off of crack or heroin or having some significant issues. I mean, is it just kind of a throw them in? And, and there's a couple of things. One, um, we, we, we want to be attentive to specifically where they're at. So one of the things, and we have found in general that most people don't just jump into serving. First, they actually usually go the small group route first before serving, and usually that's because uh, small groups feel more self-serving, like, oh, I need, I need that. And whereas serving, even though there's a massive personal benefit, it, the choice is oftentimes I'm going to serve, I'm going to give of myself. So that usually comes last if you were to put it in some sort of progression. Um, but, like, for instance, we don't let anybody work within children's ministry without a background check, and, and um, we don't ha let uh, somebody lead a city group unless they've been a part of one. Um, and, and sometimes we might be like, oh, you know what, I don't think this is the right time for you to serve, and, and we want you to go through a city group first and be a part of a city group, and after being a part of a city group, let's reevaluate re this. So, um, you know, and in situations like you just described, I think, 
that you, you might have to be more attentive, but when somebody fills out an application, it's not automatic. Um, there's, a, there's an interview process that they go through to better understand, and for us to better understand where do we put this person, because we do want them to connect, no matter what. You know, uh, whether they're coming off uh, heroin or they're a great, great leader, we want them connected. We're not just trying to send off isolated people. You know, we want them connected. And I, one of the things with our team is I think there's a room for anybody with, I mean, we're all, we all got some sort of mess, you know. And, and so that, that person might just do great on the, on the load-in team, you know. We're a mobile church, so they load everything in on a Sunday morning. And so, so there's, always, we, there's, almost, there's all, almost always a place for anybody, regardless of what kind of stuff they've, go, they've got going on. And we've got one other thing. We've got a, a series of groups called Life Groups. Um, maybe some of you have ever heard of Cleansing Streams. It's kind of a, a, a revised version of that. It doesn't come from uh, those who created Cleansing Streams, but it's kind of in that vein in terms of dealing with your past so you can move forward. And so, um, so we do have some specific groups that, that are for that particular purpose in order to, to help people be able to move forward in a way that's healthy and, and serve and participate within the body in a healthy way. So. Yeah, uh, you can go to millcitychurch.org, and um, I believe uh, if you go uh, under ministries, or actually, I'm not sure, you might just need to search it all, um, but I think there's something called, uh, City Groups is underneath there, so that's obvious, but there's another one that says, there's one that says belong, and there's another one that says serve, and serve is about the lift team, and the one that says belong is about Mill City Connect. Yeah. Yes, right here. Yeah. So in order to be a small group leader, they have to have been a part of a small group. Uh, and then they go through a city group leader training. And what we have found is that city group leader training really um, is hel- it's helpful to help them get the city group off the ground. In other words, sometimes I've found we, we started with kind of giving them a, so much information for step week one and week nine. <laughs> and what I, we found that most people didn't hear anything after week one because <laughs> they were just like so freaked out about getting their group off the ground. So we really help kind of create uh, the right tools and give them the right tools to be a, a city group leader to get their group off the ground. And then what we have is we have what's called um, hub leaders. So we put every small group uh, into a hub. And so we have college students, let's say. So we have a college student hub. So th- we, right now we have 12 or 13 uh, college student groups. And so the leaders of all of those groups have a hub leader. Uh, and so he checks in on them all relationally. And so he knows where they're at. He knows how their group's going. And some leaders really don't need much of anything. And so, so one of the reasons we've done it this way is we've made it more relational-based than just us on the staff side being training-based. In other words, um, one, one person might need at one particular time might not be what the other person needs. And so, so have hub leaders that are relationally connected with the leaders, and they're there to pray for them, coach them, and support them. That is their goal. And so we have found that the, our hub leaders, the best hub leaders we ever ha- we have are the ones who actually have kind of a pastoral bent, and they want to pastor the leaders of those city groups. So we give them the, 
Here's, how, here's, their, here's, here's enough information and enough tools and enough stuff for the first five weeks of your group in terms of getting it off the ground and how to navigate new people coming in and, and what do you do with a few and what do you do when you get more and, and all that kind of thing. And then we provide them with uh, a hub leader who is actually at the training. So they've met their hub leader from the very beginning. And then that person kind of relationally takes them through uh, and carries them through the rest of the semester in any way that they need. Does that help? Yeah, I don't have that because I don't do that, but can I give you, let me give you an email. He's going to love this. Uh, <laughs> my city group director, uh, pastor, his name is Bo Johnson, and his email is B-E-A-U at millcitychurch.org. And you can email him and ask him for the city group training documents. Yeah. We do have a few small groups on Sunday. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we, basically it's like you can do whatever you want, but we only have a couple. Yeah. And the vast majority of them are throughout the week. Some are at 6 o'clock in the morning, and some are lunch groups, and some are evening groups. So, um, so that's fine, but it, ha it fits into the bigger grid. Do you guys have groups throughout the week, or is it just? No, it's just on Sunday. Yeah, so what I hear is everything happens on Sunday. And what I think is valuable is we need to be, we are part of and we're connected throughout the week. Yeah, the thought is it's like, well, for families, it's easier to do one-stop shop. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And in childcare, without a doubt, is, is a challenge. And so, so there's lots of, and we kind of give our groups freedom for how to work that out. There's one particular group where um, like one week they do the men of the group. It's a mixed group, like families. And so one week the, the men meet while the women take care of the kids. The next week the women meet and the men take care of the kids. Another week, you know, and they've kind of like built this system um, for their particular group on how they do childcare, you know. Well, for us, thinks we, re we believe that Sunday morning is the, the wide end of the funnel. You know, there might be some people, like I mentioned, the basketball group, who are going to go to the basketball group first before they come to our church. But the vast majority of the people, and I think this is just true in America, so this might change in a different context, but within America, there's still people, if you invite your neighbor to church, chances are they're going to go to church with you. And so, so people still come on Sunday morning. And so because of that, we want Sunday morning to be great. And it's not that we want it to be an awesome show, but we really want to put all of our energy into making sure that that works for people. Because if it doesn't work, they're not coming to a small group. And so, so if there's competing energies and competing focuses and competing resources all in the same spot, then you're, you're probably undercutting both.
And so, so to do one well in order that the other one might be able to also be done well, I think is, is really important. So that's how I would kind of address that and how we, we look at that. So, Yes, ma'am. Yeah, man, great question. Um, we have, I think that's probably, I find that we are just consistently working with people in terms of leadership development, and we're looking for a new person, and we're looking for, I mean, I can think of a couple of our teams right now where it's not, they're not killing it. And, and that's okay. And so it just means, okay, there are six, I need to help them. And, and help them move to a seven. I need to have whatever it is. Or maybe I need to find somebody else that does the part that they're not doing that great with, scheduling. Or, um, or just the relational dynamic of the team. You know, maybe they're just not wired that, gifted that way. Let's help. Let's put somebody else on that team that's going to help with that. And so try and put different gift mixes together. And oftentimes, so for us, like we just moved like I said, a few weeks ago to three services. So we ended up trying to find a couple of our team leads um, and saying, hey, we're going to put you and, you and you can oversee a couple of other team leads now that, you know, let's say welcome. So we have three different sets of welcome team leaders for three different services, but one of those team leads you're actually going to oversee and help with this. And so, again, it's another opportunity for leadership for them, but it also is... Um, we realize that it, that takes work. It's not just picking them, putting them there, and everything works. Cause, <laughs> and so it, it, that's what we do. We build and equip people for ministry. And yes. Yeah. And some people, it's not their gifting. And so sometimes to try and force them to do that is going to be a pretty, you're just pushing a boulder up a hill and you're never going to get to the top. So it doesn't mean that that person can't or shouldn't do that for a while, but, but to think about the, the thought I have is not how can I fire them. The question is where do they belong? Where are they going to be best served in terms of their giftings? We do ask and encourage as best as possible our teams, our service teams, to act as small groups. So we, and, and specifically then we ask our team leaders, hey, try and pay attention to the people on your teams. Um, and, we, and this is what we want them to do because I think if you say pastor your team or even sometimes the word leadership freaks people out. So one of the things that we want them to do is ask this question, what's the best next step for each person on my team? Because... If they think I have to disciple them, that's a, that, that, that freaks me out. <laughs> but if I think, okay, what's, what's Joe's next step? And maybe it's joining a city group. Maybe it's helping lead. Maybe, it's, maybe, it's, he, maybe he needs to get water baptized. You know, so thinking through what's his next step and can I help him or her get there in the next semester. So, um, so our service teams, we try to create, we want them to be relation, as relational as possible, um, but we recognize they're not specifically city groups, but we do want as much relationship going on there as possible. Yeah. 
Yes, sir. Yeah. Sure. So, some of our full-time staff members is director of city groups, um, recognizing. I mean, for one, it became pretty quickly clear that with the number of leaders and groups and all that kind of stuff, it was going to require a full-time person. But he he doesn't have an administrator. He doesn't have anybody that is paid that works for him, and he has a really large team and everything from doing the city group launch days to the hub leaders to his city group leaders to all of that so um so he's a great worker and does an amazing job of training and developing and recruiting and all and all that kind of thing but if it was just up to him to pastor all the leaders and take care of make sure all the city groups and the city group launches were off and all that kind of stuff he would struggle but he's got people that are in charge of a bunch of those different things so um, same with our, our lift team. Um, I have a girl that's part-time oversees the lift team, and so she's part of the coordination of people uh, participating and ending up in the right team, but she's got a team of people that help what she calls an assimilation team that help them go from filling out an application to landing on and getting connected into the right team. But all of those are volunteers. Yeah, so, yeah, Mill City Connect is probably our, one, of our, one of our main, it's not the only one, but it's probably the main way in which people are identified. Because those groups are, those classes are 20 to 30 people max, so on average. And so because of that, it's, you're, inter you're interacting, you're talking about their giftings, you're putting them into teams, and then we're very in touch with who the, who's on teams, and you say, oh, man, I want to keep an eye on that person, and maybe I can, and so... So that happens through Mill City Connect. But the other thing that we do is I just always tell my staff and our team leaders, be on the lookout for people and look for the ways that you connect with people, look for the ways that people maybe just, I like to call it divine flow. When you have divine flow with somebody, when there just is this kind of chemistry that happens and you're like, I just love this person. Chances are if you love that person, you're gonna love working with them and they're gonna love working with you. So um, so it's not only through the particular system, but it is through just trying to empower people and find them and breathe on what God's put inside of them. So, all right, we're out of time. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for your church. And God, I pray that each one of us
would do what you've called us to do, and that our energies would be placed in the right place. I pray, Father, for each leader and each person that is within our church, that you would help us to help them identify their giftings and to put them in a place in which they serve and bless each other and bless the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody. I appreciate you being here. Have a great afternoon.